welcome to Counterpressed on the Ringer and Spotify. It's day nine of the Women's World Cup and I'm joined by Jessie Parker-Humphreys, Becky Taylor-Gill and making her Counterpressed debut, Aston Villa head coach Carla Ward. Carla, we've been waiting for this one. We're so glad you could join us. Um, it, it's a it's a weird one, I think, today, guys. <laughs> we've all come into this into the studio. We're on Zoom with Jesse and Carla, and uh, yeah, it's just a, a slightly strange vibe. Carla, how are you feeling after that one? Um, wins a win. I think it's important that we get we got through. Um, okay, first twenty five minutes, excellent, and I thought that was you know probably. Um, the best we've we've been for some time, and then we just sat off after the goal. But look, I think um, two wins from two, we're nearly there. I think that's most important. But Kira Walsh injuries obviously probably putting a bit of a dark cloud over it. But um, hopefully, um, it's not as bad as first four, and uh, we'll get it back soon. Becky, how are you feeling? I know we were very emotional coming in today. We sort of saw each other on the embankment with a little like, hey, it was a bit subdued. I'm how so are you? sad. You sad? Yeah, I think um, it just, just does not feel like we've won a game. I just feel... I actually shed a tear when Kira Walsh got injured. It was re- I, was, I find it really emotional. It was really sad. And so I'm just left feeling that. I had a little sad, sad tube right over here. Yeah, we won, but... At what cost? At what cost? Jesse, you are still in Brisbane, so you weren't at the game, but you obviously were watching it in Australia. I know your brother was there. Have you chatted to him about what the mood was like? Because judging from everyone's Twitter who actually was at the game in Sydney, they were just saying like the vibes could not be less of kind of like victory for England, you know? Yeah, I had to make sure we had Parker Humphrey's representation in Sydney. So uh, <laughs> Ed, Ed did the job before he, he comes to Brisbane tomorrow. Um I did ask about the vibes. He he said he felt like that obviously to people who follow England, it felt a lot more serious than maybe to other people in the ground. And it's like been my experience that obviously the grounds are like quite mixed with people who are looking for a fun evening out. Um, so it sounds like it wasn't it wasn't like really down, but it wasn't really up either. But I think that's just because the group of England fans as a part of the whole wasn't obviously as massive as it would have been, say, at a home game. Yeah, the BBC cameras kept panning to sort of, I think, I guess, which are a lot of maybe like English expats living in Australia and all these kids who are going crazy and really excited. And I thought, guys, <laughs> like, this is not the moment, please. We're all in mourning here. Uh, we have tons of stuff to talk about. So I think we should just really get cracking, guys. Let's talk about England's 1-0 win over Denmark next. Well, guys, Lucy Bronze said before the game that it wouldn't matter if England kept getting 1-0 results in this tournament. And she got her wish because <laughs> England got Stop a 1-0 win. manifesting it, Lucy. Fact's yeah, it was, it was not the, the, the result probably... Well, it was the result that we wanted. We wanted a win um, and they got the job done. Um, and they, this, this match, I think, was all about the performance and probably for maybe 25 minutes, half an hour... I think generally it felt like a really energised England performance. Before we get into some very interesting tactical decisions and obviously the big Kira Walsh injury, let's talk about our general feelings around the game. Carla, how did you think that played out for England? (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
after we saw the team and you digest it. I think, um, look, first 20, 25 minutes, you thought we, we looked good. We were front-footed. We got at them. And then I just think we took our foot off the gas once we scored, which against the bigger teams might be a problem. I think if we stay front-footed, um, I think we'll do all right. I think I know everyone's flat. I must admit, wasn't the most thrilling of performances. But like Lucy Bond says, a win's a win. Um, you, we're pretty much through, albeit there's going to be tougher tests to come. But look, Rachel Daly, Lauren James, they've come into the team. For me, they were they were exceptional. And I think that those two proved why they should be in the team. Maybe not in those positions, but <laughs> we'll get on to that. Jesse, you were saying, I think, after the Haiti game that, you know, we need we, we didn't need to be too concerned. And do you think this performance today was like enough of a level up? Maybe not across the 90 minutes, but at times to show where, you know, what England can maybe tap into with the right players and the right frame of mind? Yeah, I think the first 20 minutes was the best I've seen England play maybe for six to nine months, to be honest, uh, in terms of... The speed, the aggression, their pressing, their intensity, their creativity. I think Lauren James had a lot to do with that. I think lots of the qualities that you saw her bring when she came on against Haiti, we saw again here. But the problem is, is that it's kind of impossible to get away from the the Kira Walsh incident and sort of regardless of that. And I think England had started to drop off even obviously before that injury happened, but it feels harder to taking the match as a whole as a result. And almost regardless of that, those first 20 minutes were sort of predicated on on her being part of that team. And now, once again, England kind of have to scrap all that, potentially, um, and, and figure out a new way to play. And that's kind of been the problem for England all year. You know, each time a player gets injured and Vigman has to go back to the drawing board and think about who... You know, obviously you're going to have your principles of play, but like who comes in, what are they going to bring, how are they going to be different? And it feels like every time they start to get somewhere with that, another one bites the dust. Get Lucy stand back on the plane. Oh, Carla, I wish, man, I wish. Unfortunately, FIFA rules say it can't happen. So I was furiously opening the rule book as <laughs> soon as Kira Walsh stretched it off. Like, can she come back? Phoning Gianni. <laughs> Honestly, Lucy stands at an unbelievable season. But you saw when Kira Walsh went off, the, the disconnect between the units, she controls the middle of the park so well. The distances become big. The, the units became, the, it was it was far too stretched. So it's going to be a big one of who goes in there because you could see the impact and even the way that then they changed their press and the way that they went about the game. It's going to be massive now. That is a massive call because for me, Kira Walsh is one of the best midfielders in the world. So it's a big one for sure. How much do you think that's also... Um, them not being able to kind of get their heads back together after that. And yes, she obviously, the, the difference in the way that she plays is evident, but also just in the, oh shit, we've got to work this out right now. Emotionally. Yeah. I think both. Um, I think both emotionally, tactically, they know that in Kira, as a group of players, you're losing one of your best players. And they all know that. Kira goes under the radar. People talk about... Um, you know, the likes of Russo, Daly, Lauren James, Tooney, they, they talk about all those. They, what they don't do is talk about the qualities of Kira Walsh and everyone within that camp knows her quality, knows her value. So when you lose a player of such big, big value to the squad, it's massive. So that mentally takes its toll. So it's how do you adapt? Because Georgia Stanway had to adapt her role, which 
she's not used to playing that role. And then you've got obviously Coombsy's come in. She's done, you know, she's done she's done well, but we're talking about replacing a world, world class player. Yeah, and also isn't Staniforth and my Letitia, aren't they just on holiday in, in Australia? So, you know, yeah, they haven't gone I, far. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think they're on a plane back now, but look, I've I've said it, I've been shouting very loudly about Stan this season. Since she's come in, she's been unbelievable for us. And I do think, you know, she she could play that role. I've heard from many, many people when she's been in the in around England camp, um, that she stood out, she's she's been exceptional. And that might be one that they probably wish that she wasn't on standby. But look, those are the decisions made. She's on her way home. I think a few people will be wishing that she was still there because I do think she can do that role well. Um, but yeah, FIFA rules are FIFA rules. And sadly, we can't rip up those uh, those rule books. With Laura Coombs as well, it's it's been a bit of an odd situation because because of Walsh leaving City and Hasegawa and Coombs sort of like rotating a bit of a role within that city setup on who fills the Kira Walsh boots because Hasegawa has had to like drop a little bit in order to be a more of a kind of defensive midfielder as well as a bit of a playmaker for City and she's done that really well but Coombs has also had to kind of support and and play more of a, a Stanway role in that in that setup but do you think she can make that change and now be the player that England need going forward? Or do you think Wiegmann might might look to someone like Katie Zellum? I don't think you're going to necessarily see Laura Coombs playing the deepest role. And I think that actually just gets to, to part of the problem that, that Carla was just touching on. I don't think England have anyone in camp really at the moment who can successfully play the deeper role. Stanway, Zellum, these are all players who normally play with, with someone else alongside them. Now, maybe you can look at playing a flatter back too than what England do normally, but then you're sacrificing a player in attack from, from that point, really, or you're changing the distances with your midfield and the way your midfield set up. I think that's why we saw Stanway coming back and then Coombs coming in and them trying to keep that, that same shape. But the, the distances still didn't quite work even then. Um, and there's just not really, I mean, the best thing I guess that can have happened for England is the fact they did win this game. And so they will have the China game as a bit of a, an opportunity to, to try something out, to have that, you know, in-game um, experience when it comes to sort of rejigging the midfield. But it, I mean, it's one thing to say, like, how do you replace Kira Walsh? There's probably like two or three names in the entire world who you could look to replace Kira Walsh with. But even beyond that, even if you're just thinking about profile, I don't really think... In because the player who England would have looked to, who would have been in the squad, probably to do that role, would have been Leah Williamson. Yeah, exactly. And it's just out of sort of character, I guess. I mean, I, I don't... I think... Laura Coombs did well, at, at, you know, just to be thrown in like that and and play in a role that she's not familiar with. Um, whether it's in her locker moving forward, I don't know because she'd never really asked to drop that deep. And it it that that role is so unique, Carla, because what Kira Walsh does is take on so much pressure um, f and take all, so much of it off other people's shoulders because she's so good at holding onto the ball and eating players and then her vision for passes as well. Whereas Laura Coombs isn't that kind of player. Katie Zellum isn't that kind of player. So what is it about, you know, shifting Lauren James even deeper? I, I, I don't know. Like, how do you how do you try and manufacture something out of this or change England's entire formation? 
I don't think she'll change formation. I think you've got Georgia Stanway, who's probably the most experienced player that could she could drop in there. It takes away the fact that she likes to get forward. You know, she she's someone that links to play. She's creative. So I think you don't really want to do that. But I'm not too sure how many options they've got. I don't see Lauren James playing that role. Or Lauren James needs a little bit of a more free role like she had today. Um, but I think it'll probably be maybe Stanway plus one. But yeah, you're looking at... Um, does that mean um, does that mean Toon, Toon comes out? Because ultimately you've got to keep James in the team. Um, it's going to be an interesting one, that's for sure. But like you said, against China, it's an opportunity now. It's an opportunity to look. Do you go over single? Do you go over double? And she might well go over double um, just for security because she might look beyond China um, and get secured up. Because the other thing is as well is if you've got James playing off the left and Daly playing at left back, obviously that works as a two because Daly will give you whip. She knows the top half of the pitch well enough to be able to do that. Obviously that gives Lauren James a free role to come and play on the inside corridor. But then you've got Lucy Bronze that also gives you that um, height and depth. But the only problem with that is then we're susceptible in transition. So if you have a double pivot, it might just give us a little bit more security. So it might be something she looks at in um in the China game with with obviously the, the knockout stages in mind, but who goes there? I have no idea. Oh, I was gonna say who would like I know this is becoming a Carl Award coaching workshop, <laughs> but who would go in your double pivot? Stanway and Coombs? I think they're the only one. Yeah. Wow, Stanway we've made Carl Award speechless. <laughs> Incredible scenes. <laughs> I think no, I'm, I'm trying to think I'm thinking of the other midfielders you got in there and uh yeah, I mean, Jordan Nobbs, she loves to just, yeah. God, no, oh my no, God, I forgot oh, Jordan Nobbs is even in the squad. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, so, uh, how can you forget about Jordan Nobbs? I know, Nobs? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I literally. This I is could... why Flo is an England manager. <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> Flo just finding a 23rd player down the back <laughs> oh, of the sofa. Oh, here she is. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I th- yeah, I think it probably is. It probably is Stanway and. And Coombsy. They also have the benefit, right, of of having played together at City. And I, I never know how much to put onto the, you know, club stuff into national team form. But in a situation like this, it's got to help that, okay, they're not at City together anymore, but they will have had more time you know, on on a training pitch playing together rather than trying to trying to build a new relationship between two players who who realistically will have had no time together. Yeah, I think look, they know each other. Like you said, I think it's the obvious choice. If you look at who's available, um, yeah, we can all scream about there's players that are available that aren't there, but the reality is this is what we're working with. So yeah, it's probably Coombsy and Stanway, I would imagine. Let's talk about what was the biggest sort of headline before the game kicked off, which was the changes, because so much build-up had been about, is Riemann going to make changes? She doesn't like making changes. Is she going to stick to type? Well, she didn't, and she made some pretty big changes. One of them being Lauren James, which I think 99% of England fans were saying had to happen. She didn't come in at the 10. She came in for Lauren Hemp out wide. So we'll, we'll touch on that and, it, and the impact. And then the other change... Carla Ward, ready, <laughs> was Rachel Daly coming in at left back for a throwback to last summer's Euros. Carla, were you as shocked as I think a lot of people were with this move? It's really interesting because I kind of saw it coming given the way that our back four um, sometimes got hurt on transition. I kind of saw it come in, but... You know, she scored 23 goals this season. She's 
England's most informed centre forward. She's currently England's best goal scoring centre forward. We're struggling for goals. Of course, I would like to see her in the nine. She offers something so different. A movement in the box is, is, is sensational. So look, of course, Rachel Daly wants to play football. She's like uh, you know, she's like a young kid that's just starting out every single day because she loves playing football. So she will play anywhere. But yeah, of course, she's a centre forward. She wants to play in the nine. She she wants to to score goals. Um, but on the flip side of that, she's had a very, very, very good game. And I think that she's played very well in that position, given the fact she's not played there um at all for the last year. All of her work, both club and country, has been in and around the box. So credit to her because she stepped up and you know she's she's just picked up where she left off last year. And I also think she massively, massively helped the way that Lauren James was able to play today as well. So yeah, look, for me, she's a nine. I say it all the time, she's a nine, but she's a wonderful footballer. Um, and you could play her anywhere. Yeah, I think we we saw with her performance just how much she offers England going forward when she does play at fullback. And that was really important because I do think they were a bit flat at times against Haiti. I still think the delivery into the box from both sides, from Bronze, Kelly and Daly at times was not good enough today. And, um, you know, I think in the Haiti game, it was 10 out of 32 crosses that were accurate. Today, it was 8 out of 23. So the the stats aren't great when it comes to actually supplying Russo uh, and supplying others in and around the box. Jesse, I still think England do look um, risky uh, when they when they turn over the ball. And I think bronze and daily pushing so high as well made me extremely nervous. What did you make of that kind of fullback switch and the way that England played today? Um, it's so aggressively as well going forward. I feel like on the left-hand side, it, it made sense in terms of everything Carla's just said about how Rachel Daly can play there and about how Lauren James wants to play. And it's almost like that's how you get the best out of Lauren James. You need to create the space for her to come inside. And equally, actually, I thought Ella Toon did very well in the way that she allowed Lauren James to find that space. On the right-hand side, I think what I thought was interesting was it, it did feel like Lucy Bronze bombed up a lot more. And obviously, quite a few transition moments did come from that. I do think that's because England just didn't feel like Denmark had the same level of threat in transition that Haiti did. And I think in their transition moments in the first half, I actually felt like England generally dealt with them pretty well. It was more in the second half when it started to get a bit more like nervy. I think there's there's always a sense of like if you if you see you know, your team trying to defend a transition, you're going to feel like a little bit sick as a fan. But when you actually look at how they defended it, Denmark were were struggling to create actually dangerous situations, even when they had those extra players. Um, So I did kind of feel like part of the way Bronze was playing was not just her going off on a jolly further up the pitch. It felt like a calculated move by England to create overloads on that side as well. I think the problem is, is it, it... it doesn't necessarily feel like a sustainable option just to be like, we don't think this team's going to kill us in transition. So off you go. Um, And I think it's that kind of balance that also as the game wore on. And you did see, I think after Kira Walsh went off, you saw bronze sit back a lot more, I think in, in recognition of that. Um, But yeah. And, and I thought, I thought, I just think I understand why bronze plays. I just think when we're talking about, Rach Daly coming in to, to play as, as a fullback and I think she's very good in, in that position but I equally think there are other good fullbacks in the squad and sometimes I feel like 
Bronze is in the team and she has a really important role to play in terms of experience. But at what point, again, do you feel like you're using other positions maybe to cover up for for the the elements of her game which aren't as good as maybe they were? And what are you kind of sacrificing as a result of that? I think for me, it's still it's still the risks that Lucy Bronze takes in the game that I think you know it's positive that England feel confident enough to take those risks and that those risks paid off really today but Lucy Bronze takes so many risks on the ball and in the first half alone I think she lost the ball like three times whether it was passing straight to a Danish player which created a, a chance for Harder that was really easy save for, for Earps in the end or it's just kind of even in the first minute of the game, I think there was an odd decision she made where the ball kind of like, she didn't get a good touch on the ball and then she had her back and was kind of like wrestling. Um, maybe it was Thompson, I think, off the ball. And it's just that sort of aggressive attitude, which sometimes I feel like is England's biggest enemy at times. And it's, you know, with, with someone like Lucy Bronze, you trust her because of her experience, because of her name. And she always walks onto the team sheet because of that. But I don't know when that moment comes where you think, okay, I mean, maybe it was the second half today when she had to drop deep. But when you think, okay, you do just need to now go for the simple option or you do just need to kind of recognise that you might not be able to take on this player. Like she just, I don't know, Carl, I don't know if I'm being too harsh, but like she doesn't seem to make that sort of like mental adjustment to her game. Yeah, I think um, I go back to if you're going to play those two, if you're going to play Daly and Bronze that both like to go, you need security from from the middle of the park, of course. But yeah, I think going back to Jesse's point, I do think it was one where they probably felt that they could go with. Look, I love I love attacking fullbacks. Uh, we played with obviously a lot of whip, and we play with our our fullbacks high up the pitch as well. But I think um, in tournament football, single moments can mean so much. So I think yeah, you can you can play that way, and Lucy can go, and Rach can go, but not without locking up the middle of the pitch. Otherwise. One moment throughout the tournament, so they've got to be. I think that's that's something based even today. You know, Haiti, okay, we're, we're good on the counter. Denmark didn't quite have the pace of Haiti, but I think if Serena looks at that today, I think she's going to be thinking about those transitional moments, particularly with the two fullbacks. But do those two fullbacks? Does she stay with that back four? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm it's going sure. to be interesting, and also. Bright and Greenwood, not the fastest centre-backs in the world. They offer so much, but they are the kind of players that when the ball turns over, unlike Williamson, who you can count on a lot of times to maybe win a bit of a flat race with, with some strikers, like they're not the kind of players who uh, are going to be able to chase if there's going to be a turnover in a, in a scrappy area. Let's talk about James, though, because she was the difference maker, scoring that goal early on, what was it, the sixth minute, and just lighting up the match, lighting up the tournament, and delivering delivering Jesse exactly what we wanted but moving forward does she keep her place in place of Lauren Hemp now or is she going to move into the 10 what do you think happens can we just stop and enjoy just for like one minute (laughs) before we do moving forward how good the goal was Mm. and how like obviously I, I love Lauren James and I think she had ups and downs this season but the opportunity to come into this team to to start this game um, at her first international tournament and within six minutes to have done that is just like 
it's supreme confidence. And she said it afterwards, like in the interview that she's like, I'm, I'm just calm. I'm calm on and off the pitch. And, and for me, that just sums up the way she plays. And I think she brings a calmness to the way England play as well. And I think we saw that against Haiti. And I thought we saw that here at the start and just, yeah, like the balls on her really to be like, okay, I've got this space. I'm going to take this shot. Um, and I think like three of England shots of, of their four shots on target were, were from James. Um, in terms of going forward, I think she she's shown she can play off the wing and in the 10. And Wiegmann clearly, I can't say I entirely get it, but Wiegmann clearly wants Ella Toon to play. Um, and if that's the case, then I think that's fine. I think you can make that happen. I was surprised that Hemp was the player who got dropped because Hemp's a player that Wiegmann's relied on a lot, even though actually you could arguably say her production in an England shirt hasn't necessarily been that impressive over the past year. I think what having James on the pitch from the start offers you as well, and we saw this later in the game though, because she can play on either wing and at the 10, it gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of who you're bringing on and who you're bringing off because you can then move her into those different positions. And really, she's for me, I think this this is why it doesn't matter. She She's a player who's all about profile rather than about position. It's about like how do you get her on the ball? Because when you get her on the ball, she's going to do the same things wherever she is on the pitch. It's going to be about retention. It's going to be about driving forward. She's going to be able to pass left foot, right foot. Um, but yeah, I I thought she she was fantastic. I think especially in that sort of first 20, 25 minutes. And I, I think just the way she lifts the team as well is is something that's really impressive given her age. I think if you're going to play, <clears throat> if we play a, a double, for example, in the next game, I'd like to see Lauren James in the 10 as a free role so she can completely play it in between the lines. Um, and then you've got, obviously, then Hemp comes back in. Then you've got natural width. You've got pace down the sides. You've got Lauren James that can create. And then you've got a bit of security behind the ball. So I'd like to see it. Going back to Jesse's point, not sure if we will, um, but let's see. We had a question actually about Russo and Toon because I think it's been pretty quiet for both of them at this World Cup. We know Wiegmann does like um, to stick with both of them together, relying on the relationship from Manchester United to work out. But I I thought it was a you know a, a not great performance from either of them today. I, I really was impressed with Russo in the first game and kind of her work rate and what she tried to create a lot of the time out of nothing. But I did think it was really quiet from her today. I, I don't really remember some even very eventful touches or involvements from her. Um, Jesse, I know you you were kind of commenting about how. Um, Toon got a bit more love with James being out wide and it kind of created space for her. So do you think that might have also, because of Wiegmann's love for her as well, but do you think that might have also maybe reassured her place in the team about how she works with Lauren James? I mean, I think I personally would stick James at the 10 because I feel like the upside of having Hemp starting is, is bigger than than what Toon offers with, with James then on the left. But I think what Toon did show is that her off-ball movement is something that, and it often goes unnoticed from from players, but it is something that can can have a big role. You know, the spaces that players look to vacate and when they vacate them, the way they move defenders around, that can create opportunities for other players. And I think Lauren James is very good at filling those those spaces, but she needs someone to move out the way. And and it to be fair, Ella Toon did move out the way and she did take, take defenders um, out. Um, but yeah, I think... Beyond that, which I feel like is 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 fine, it's kind of what you'd expect her to do. We we haven't really seen much more than that, and yeah, I, as I say, I think 
it's not even necessarily that I think Ella Toon's been particularly bad. I just think there's players who, who are better, who you can fit into the team if you take her out of it. Yeah, totally. And I also just don't think we've seen any of the benefits of that United relationship, which is, they. I don't think I remember any passages of play Get in a which... cracked badge, like graphic going like <laughs> Alessia Russo in one half Elatine in the other <laughs> they don't play together anymore well you ju- I just don't there's, there's a rift in that friendship I can see it there doesn't seem to be patterns or movement or, or anything that, that 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 kind of gives you the impression of, of why they would be a great combination on the pitch right now and what we have seen from in the past obviously with you coming on Carla we had so many questions about Daily at the nine, daily at left back. And we've already touched on it, but I want to go kind of into it in more detail, really. Um, because for you going forward and based, I guess, on Alicia Russo's performances so far as well, do you think Daly's got to go in at some point? I think so, yeah. And, you know, even when Beth England come on today, she's shown that she could do a job as well. And I think that they're both very, very... Look, we've, we're blessed that we've got three centre-forwards that... Um, decent options but if we're talking about form in front of goal um you know both both Beth and Rachel will be thinking that they you know both of them all in their own rights will think that they've got a chance of starting now for me I just think somebody that scored that many goals um you know she's she's equaled records this season she's in the form of her life of course I want to see her in the nine um I said it before she kicked the ball for us after the Euros everyone said are you crazy? Our CEO asked me, what are you doing? You, you, you're getting a defender for your, to solve your goal scoring problems. Her movement, you know, she's, she's we haven't got anyone like her. And um, I think Serena said it after a game when she, um, what, what game was it where she scored two for England not so long ago? We haven't got anybody with that movement in and around the box. And right now, I think that's something we need. So, of course, look, I I'm, I will shout from the rooftops. I would love to see Rachel Daly in the nine, get her there against China, um, you know, get get a goal or two before we get to the cause. Have you gone into the CEO's office and done a knee slide and shouted, have that? Have what? <laughs> like, have that. Like, you've, <laughs> have like, I gone into whose office? The CEO's office. Oh, do you know what? He, he, he was great, actually. He's left now, Christian Perslow, but he did say to me after his first... Five after her first five goals, she's not too bad. This <laughs> but um, no, he was very complimentary after a while, and then it was quite funny because we put some um, performance-related bonuses in to get her over the line, and we never thought in a million years she'd be hitting them. She's hit them all. So um, yeah, Rachel Daly yeah. bankrupted Carla Ward's transfer yes. budget. Absolutely, <laughs> scoring too all many much. goals. Yeah. So no, she's um, yeah. Everyone, everybody said what are you doing playing her in the nine? Um, but it's funny because I read some tweets earlier um, about her playing at left-back and everyone saying she's been a left-back all of her career. No, she hasn't. She's played a handful of games there for England. She's a goal scorer. She's a centre-forward. She's she's best in and around the box. The fact she can play at left-back, right-back, anywhere you want on the pitch is a credit to her um, her footballing ability. But let's be straight, she's a centre-forward. Yeah, but what's that like you for you to manage her as a coach as well? Because getting her into your squad after the Euros when she played at left-back and then also for her right now as a player and, and her coming back after this tournament, like what do you do if you are moving around positionally? I speak to Rach quite a lot, um, you know, through her, through her ups and downs, we speak about everything. We um, I try and help and advise in the best way I can. Um, but I think with Rach, 
the fact that she's gone straight in at left back and and it looks like she's played there all year is a credit to her. And she'll come back into club, she'll go back into the nine, and I think she'll pick up where she left off. I don't think there'll be any problems. Like I said, Rach is a very focused footballer and um, if you ask her to do something, she usually goes and delivers, as, as we've seen with England and club. So, yeah, I don't think there'll be too much managing. The managing is right now, really, even though she's in Australia. I usually wake up to 2am messages. but um, <laughs> That's like me with Becky. <laughs> That's exactly the joke that I was going to make. <laughs> yeah, it's no, it's, it's just, you, you, know, you know what, you manage these players 24-7. You help them in any way you can with anything they, they do in life. So, yeah, I think um, she'll be absolutely fine. She'll be... She'll be straight back and straight back in the thick of things as a nine. It's probably frustrating a little bit that that Jess Carter was the one that that dropped out. I think um, for for Daly to ca- come in, but where do you think this leaves her? Because we saw her play alongside Millie Bright in that first game, and I am a little bit worried. And uh, Carla, you and I were talking about this before about the chopping and changing of this back line and the fact that um, Serena clearly doesn't know what is the best version right now, apart from Millie Bright and Lucy Bronze being there in some capacity. So what do you think is the best back four? And do you think we're just going to see probably a few more changes going forward? I personally think now we're here, we will stay here. In this back four Um, we've seen today? Yeah, I kind of wonder if the, the Jess Carter pick was more about how Viegman thought Haiti were going to set up and the threat that they were going to offer with the speed and and what you were talking about Flo in terms of not really having fast players in that defence and obviously that's you know sort of something that Jess really excels at as well as that very high level 1v1 defending which again is maybe something that you sacrifice a bit more from having Rachel Daly and Alex Greenwood next to each other um, both of whom I would say have have other talents in those areas rather than the specific defensive capabilities Um, I think against teams which are going to want to supposedly want to try and play more because obviously Denmark didn't actually have much of the ball today so but I think on paper, the idea would be that they're a team where, you know, they're going to let you have more of the ball and and then, but they're going to try and play. They're not just like going to go for the Haiti thing where they're going to go in a load of tackles and then just want to go on the counter-attack. The, the value of having Alex Greenwood as the left footer there is, is kind of worth the other options. I mean, England have so many defensive options and in some ways, I know you're talking about dropping and changing, but I'm surprised we haven't seen almost more of them across the year but you know someone like Neve Charles who I understand is is a player who I think people can watch little bits and bobs of and feel like nervy about her but I think um her trajectory at Chelsea this year has been really impressive in terms of being a player who can maybe offer that sort of bombing forward but the speed to get back the the defensive capabilities um and the discipline actually I think that's what she she really improved on this year when you look at her performances for example in the in the back five against Barcelona the discipline was something which I felt like she she'd really lacked but you know she's not really a player player we've seen and I don't think we are going to see see her but I think that's just testament to actually how almost how set this back line has felt um in terms of options and I guess this also comes back down to Rachel Daly and again it's not that I think she's bad at fullback it just almost feels like a, a strange choice to, <laughs> to to revert to because we're not short of fullbacks I think in the same way that we were at the Euros I think you know the the way you know players like Carter like Charles have come on means there are like much more options there than there were a year ago 
A hundred percent. And Carla, as a manager, I certainly think that the the more that a backline can play together and build those relationships and build the, that rhythm it is crucial. And pretty much throughout the Euros, apart from that game against Spain where Daly did struggle, that that foundation of that backline was really important. And for me, that's the biggest concern when it comes to making these changes. As a manager, do you think about that as well, about the relationships and how important that is? 100% backline is, is hugely important. And I think the relationships, and I said it to you, I think earlier, um, pre-pod, I think playing Rach there, if you need a goal and you need to change it again, you, you're then changing your back four again. So that's another reason that it's, you know, playing Rach there is a, is a question mark. But um yeah I think look Alex Greenwood has to play for me I think she's a I think she's a top top player and I think she allows us to play uh obviously you've got Millie and, and Lucy that'll play it's yeah it is that left back spot obviously that's me crying out for race to go in the nine but if she doesn't then I think she she sticks with it but I think the other thing is is Millie and um Alex when Kira plays Millie and Alex can play a little bit further apart because Kira will drop in make a free and let the fullbacks go but without Kira I think they're going to have to play a little bit tighter together. So it is going to be, yeah, the the back four, I think Jesse's right. I think they'll stick with it. But I think if um, it, it almost restricts what she does with, with Rach Daly because it's almost saying she doesn't like to change it too often. It's almost saying that you're staying there. So, yeah, I, I'm. we've got plenty of fullbacks on the bench. And my Leticia, another one, the one that got away oh. on an Australian holiday. She should be there. back on the plane too. If they are on holiday, they can get back. Yeah, exactly. She's had, she's had a sensational season. And yeah. I'll be honest, yeah, yeah, she was a surprise um, omission, of course, because I think she's been absolutely brilliant and probably not spoken about enough. And I think she could absolutely do a job. So, yeah, look, there, there's options. But, yeah, I think I think you might be right, Jesse. I think it might be the same back four. But also, now that Wiegmann's gone against... She, the book she's changed and made everything changes. that I knew about I'm so two things I'm surprised I was like so like she is not changing that lineup no way and I was also like Beth England ain't seeing any minutes in this no. whole tournament and she's done both and I don't know which way is up I think that's really good for England moving forward because I think they were becoming too easy to scout and prep against I really think that and I think today was important because putting Daly at left back also just threw a spanner in the works because I don't think teams would have seen it coming uh, and you know the James change was an obvious one after watching that first game but I do like the fact that even though there it could get a little bit messy with so many changes and, and throwing Beth England on when people didn't even think she'd see the light of day um, now it's keeping teams on their toes we're a little bit we're in our messy girl era <laughs> we're in our messy girl it's era girl summer in Australia <laughs> they're just like fuck it Everyone thinks that Beth England wouldn't see the light of day, but she's had an unbelievable second half of the I season. I know, but V, yeah, it's, it's not. It's, it's not. not that I don't think man. Beth England is amazing. No, I know. By the way, that's <laughs> oh, that's across the board. Everyone yeah. doesn't think she's got a, got a chance, but she's she scored twelve goals. I know. I know. In a team that are doing, we're doing so badly. I know. She's it's... done unbelievably well. So yeah, of course, I think I I was delighted to see her get on. Um, but yeah, I think we've got, I think we've got options. Yeah, it'll just be, it'll be really interesting to see 
what 11 is selected. And actually, after talking through this post Kira Walsh um, therapy session, it's given me a bit of energy <laughs> and fun because now I'm like, anything could happen. Anything Serena Vivian could do anything. We she's don't rolling know. a dice. She's rolling a for dice these now. Players. And that's kind of I'm, fun. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Hemp will play on the left. Lauren James will play in the 10 with a double behind. Same there we go. Four. You heard it here first. We'll, get, we'll, we'll put out some counter pressed <laughs> 11s. England up top. Wow. Okay. Really? This is getting really wild. (laughs) Crazy (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Really crazy stuff. Um, There is, yeah, a lot for Serena Vim to think about ahead of England's final game against China on Tuesday. China beat Haiti 1-0, which means England need a point out of that last game to go through. Otherwise, could get a little bit hairy. We'll go down to goal difference. So, I mean, it should go okay, but we, you know, you never know. You never know. Uh, But yes, lots to think about. Now, we had tons of questions come through. So let's get to some of those questions next. Carla, as you're here, we've got a couple of questions that have come in uh, that we've got to throw to you. Firstly, you know that a counter-press staple is always karaoke. So what is your karaoke song of choice? Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. <laughs> oh, oh, a classic. Wow. You had that ready to go. Wow. <laughs> I loved that song when I was a kid. Wow. Did well, You know, when you joined Villa, did you do an initiation? Yes, I did. I think I did do that actually I think I did do Whitney do you do her justice <laughs> absolutely yeah um, <laughs> if you put Whitney Houston with a cat combine the two drown it yeah sounds- I would <laughs> love to hear it that's Carla Ward we'll be inviting you to the Cowboys yeah. end of season karaoke party and then um, Andrea who also asked the karaoke song she has asked I think it's an interesting question as well looking at um, the theme of Vigman having not made a lot of changes but as a coach you know, you're not someone who made a lot of changes throughout the season, actually. You had a quite a rooted um, team that you, you like to put out. So how tough is it when you've got a big squad and you're trying to keep everyone happy and people are at a World Cup and wanting to get minutes? I mean, Jordan Nobbs, I bloody forgot the girl existed. How do you keep everyone motivated when there's not a lot of rotation going on? So we didn't have a big squad, as you saw. I think the most we ever had on the bench was five. We had sometimes put names down, but um, yeah, we, we had a really small squad. But I think it's important that everyone understands their role. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we I've not had too, I'll be honest, I, I've not had too many headaches yet. Uh, we will this year because we've obviously got a bigger squad now. Um, and obviously we've brought in players that will put pressure on those that have been playing consistently. So, I will now come into probably bigger conversations, but I think it's just probably being really honest with them about where they're at. Um, and sometimes it's difficult because if, if they're doing as much as they can do and you're telling them that they can't do much more and they've got to continue. But for example, if Rachel Daly scoring 23 goals and you've got somebody knocking on the door, how do I get in the team? You know, sometimes it's just that, the other person in the, your position is doing everything that's being asked of them. So it is tough, but it's probably just trying to be as honest as you possibly can. Um, and I think that's the best way, whether they like to hear it or not. I would love if someone knocks on your door and you just point at Rachel Daly saying, my hands are tied, ma'am. My hands are tied. <laughs> what can I do? Nothing I can do. The girls smashing them in. Yeah. A really interesting question from, from Stephen about recruitment during tournaments like the World Cup. Um, 
as analysis has evolved, it feels like we now see less players move after they impress in a tournament. I, I suppose, how important are these tournament performances to you when you recruit? And is it a tournament you're looking at? Or do people try and not look into players too deeply off the back of a, a really good tournament? I think you do. I mean, we looked at Daphne at the Euros and straight away we earmarked her. We were sat in the stands at Bramwell Lane, me and the goalkeeping coach and a couple of others, and we liked her and we put her down, her name down, as we know quite a lot of other clubs did. Um, and we've done the same in this tournament. But I think this year is a little bit different because we got some business wrapped up really early, but we have a couple of spots that we know that we're still looking at. We are looking at players at the World Cup, of course, because... Yeah, you know what? There can be players out there that can offer you something that maybe they're, you know, that fit into your system that maybe don't fit into their club system. So we're looking, we still look. The World Cup's massive for us. And if it didn't coincide with us kicking off pre season, then we would be out there. But rest assured, we have people watching every single game. So it's, it's yeah, it's great. Carla Ward is always watching. That's what you need to know. <laughs> Megan has asked what your favourite memory of the season is and if it uh, if it's Rachel bringing Dexy to training. Oh, she brings Dexy in all the time. We have dogs in all the time. And when the coffee truck comes, the coffee truck brings the dogs their little puppuccinos. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So, um, no, sadly not, because I'm not really a dog fan. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not. I think highlight of the season was beating Man City in the FA Cup in extra time. I thought it might be that. It was an unbelievable night of football. We were outstanding. And then it teed us up for what was, in my opinion, the best performance I've ever seen from an Aston Villa team in the semi-finals. But obviously, up popped Sam Kerr with one chance and one goal, like she does, world class, um, to win the game. But... Jesse, wipe uh, that grin off your face. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, still pleased. <laughs> Jesse, I didn't sleep for days after that. That hurt more than oh. any Because I, you know, people say, do you dream of Wembley? Anyone that tells you they get to a semi-final and don't don't dream about Wembley is lying. I dreamt about Wembley a lot. Um, so yeah, of course it hurt because we did everything on the day. We were absolutely outstanding, everything but put the ball in the back of the net. So I would say the moment that got us there was was Causey's extra time winner against Man City. That was the highlight of the season for sure. And finally, Hannah has asked, when is the Rachel Daly statue going up at Villa Park? <laughs> get me another 23 goals this season. We'll, we'll talk to the football club. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get a crowdfund going. So let's talk about the other game in this group that happened today. It was very, very controversial. China beating Haiti 1-0. First, we had the Zhang Rui terrible challenge that, I mean, so high. Uh, and if the Haitian player's leg had been planted, it could have been a nasty injury. So the, the ref, uh, Marta Huerta, actually did quite well there, sending her off for that but what proceeded to happen in the rest of the game was extremely chaotic uh, trying to get a penalty Wang Shuang uh, puts away the penalty they go 1-0 up but Haiti there were three penalty incidents late in the game they're awarded a penalty which then the referee goes and reviews and looks at the VAR and overturns then there were two other incidents in which Haiti believed they should have had a penalty I think one of them was a little bit more optimistic than the other one. Their head coach gets a yellow card for protesting. Um, Jesse, 
the whole fiasco is not a great way uh, to end this, well, this match day, but also for Haiti to end their World Cup because I do think they can feel aggrieved about some of those decisions. Maybe not all those penalty shouts, but one of them uh, when, uh, I, I don't know if it's uh, De Monet or who gets absolutely cleared out in the box. Um, I think they can feel a little bit aggrieved that they didn't get anything from this game. Yeah, I think that's the one where you look at and you're like, wow, that was... I don't really understand how that's not a penalty in terms of like the players not going for the ball at all and just fully takes out uh, the Haiti player. Um, but I think also this is like, it's not a problem with VAR because I don't actually know how I feel. Like I, I don't really have strong feelings either way about VAR. But I think we then are in this world where it's like everything justifiably people want everything to be checked because you want the kind of consistency of if you've got the technology and then so you're getting all these shouts at the end of the game and obviously the refs already given a penalty for for the opposition so you feel like you want to be fairly done by you're having stuff overturned that's been given on field and I think all of that just creates this general sense of um confusion as much as anything confusion and frustration which I think clearly you know obviously that the Haiti team felt and is I think it's frustrating for them as well because they've played really well you know in in their two groups games so far they've they've kind of stood toe to toe with both England and and China although obviously it's unfortunate they couldn't take advantage of having an extra player um, but they've they've got nothing to show for it because they've conceded two penalties. And um, they they created some good chances in this as well. I know the the Chinese goalkeeper Zhu had a had a pretty good game. Also, Becky, it's probably a little bit ironic the fact that we've seen some really soft penalties given in this tournament, and then Haiti can't seem to get three in this. Which I I'm think two sure. of the three. I mean, I'm not sure. I agree that we've seen. I think like maybe one of the penalties that I've seen across this World Cup, I would describe as soft in the. In that crazy stretch the, of like four days, in Canada, of yeah, in the, those first days. Um, but yeah, I think there's, I mean, a hundred percent, one of those is absolutely a penalty, and it's just, it's, it's really difficult because it still is humans like making those decisions, and those decisions are subjective. There is obviously a rule book, but it's, it is a judgment, and it's really hard when you have that technology like Jesse's just said to not feel like really hard done by because you think because you think that that's a penalty I mean <clears throat> that's all kind of unnecessary to say because that final one definitely was a penalty but the one that got overturned I think was the correct decision but it's just what like what a mess of a way to go out it's a really just a really tough way to exit a competition in which you've you've played pretty well as a side just coming in. I was also going to add that I think part of the problem with the confusion actually kind of comes from the refs now talking because I don't know like ever since we had the ref where she kind of like got her words muddled up it feels like I don't know if anyone else is experiencing this but when they're like coming on and saying it you're like and is that the correct thing mm. like for the for the China <laughs> penalty that, that she's they broken gave, our trust when she's like no offside, so penalties. You're like, no offside. Does that mean what? it's no penalty? Do you know what mm. I mean? Like, it just feels like it was so much easier when they just sort of pointed, <laughs> and then you're it's like, that means it's a penalty. Yeah, they've not, they've not solved an an issue of confusion. I think they have just made it worse. Yeah, they've this. kind of solved a problem they never had, yeah. and they've given the ref 
too much responsibility when they don't need more things to worry about. And now they're worried about their performance, um, you know, and how they deliver a few lines when they don't need to be worried about that. But although things are not looking good for Haiti and they like are on the cusp of exiting, if England beat China and Haiti beat Denmark on goal difference, there's still a chance that they could go through. So it's not looking good, but it ain't over. Um, let's talk about the other game that happened today. South Africa throwing away a two-goal lead against Argentina, which puts them in a really, really difficult to position heading into the final game of their group. I'm absolutely gutted for South Africa, Jesse. I, I did have high hopes for them being able to uh, pull off something really memorable in this World Cup. They do have a point, which is massive, but they have thrown away two leads in two games, games which they looked really good and exciting going forward. But the game management, the composure, and Desiree Ellis spoke about this a little bit, saying that she didn't feel like they got enough from the ref today. But there's sometimes you've just got to play a bit smarter and just kind of be a bit nastier in those key moments and South Africa just really let it slip today yeah and I think actually what would be frustrating I mean this game for a start was fantastic by the way I know this was an awful time UK wise but it was a really really enjoyable watch really end-to-end -end <laughs> game um, but I think what South Africa will be frustrated by is that to be honest they could have been more than two goals up they had a number of, of quite good opportunities in front of goal and I don't know what the Argentinian defense was was doing there was a lot of very strange attempts at offside traps it was it was less efficient than when me and Becky tried to play the offside trap at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium which probably says something <laughs> which was incredible impeccable stuff from well, us exactly but the Argentina like who can live up to that standard we need to go and coach Argentina is what I'm saying after we've done our vibes coaching <laughs> we're going to go and do offside coaching offside tra <laughs> offside trapping um but yeah, so, so South Africa did get through on goal quite a lot. But even beyond that, I thought the way they, the way their forwards stay in touch with each other when they're attacking is so exciting because there's always a cutback. There's always the opportunity to square the ball. And so if you get free of your marker as you're running, you create these like really high, um, high chance opportunities. Um, but yeah, then two fantastic goals from Argentina to, to get them back into the game. And to be honest, South Africa had rode their luck defensively at points as well. Um, but Argentina, they're just queens of the comeback at World Cups, aren't they? Is it, it ain't over, though, for South Africa because they will play Italy in that final game. Sweden playing Italy tomorrow. So depending what happens there, they've still got a point. Argentina also have a point. So it could be a really interesting final round of games in Group G, depending how that match tomorrow goes down. Uh, we will obviously be back on Saturday covering all the matches happening. We're going to have Samantha Lewis, Australian football journalist, joining us as well, which is going to be really exciting. Thank you so much to Becky. Thank you to Jesse in Australia. And thank you, of course, to Carla Ward for joining us. Hope you enjoyed your counterpress debut, Carla. You're welcome, I did. Catch you on the M1, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wicked. See you soon.